This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Hi there, everyone, and happy Friday to you. Jennifer here with your short-form news roundup meant to bring you up to date on some of the latest goings-on in the realm of art history. This is Art Curious News This Week, and today is Friday, March 3rd, 2023. It is nice to be back here with you this week, and I appreciate you allowing me to take last week off from our little news programming, and I had a lovely time in Norfolk, Virginia. So now, let's get back to it. So I gotta begin this week by letting you know that this was actually a rather quiet one when it comes to art world news. And you know what? I am totally fine with that. So this won't quite be a marathon reporting session today. It's mostly been just a lot of people laughing and laugh crying at the New York Times article this week that talked about the so-called worst job ever that was listed on the website for the New York Foundation for the Arts. I won't go into it a ton here, but I will link this article into your podcast show notes and on the blog for today's episode on my website, artcuriouspodcast.com. So definitely check that out if you want to shrug or cry, or if you're just really into being a nanny, dog walker, gardener, executive assistant to the chef, and more. The rest of the news this week has mainly been previews of great exhibitions that are coming up here in 2023. And I've talked about it before, but oh man, I wish I could just travel everywhere right now because this is a really good year for shows. From the first retrospective for the amazing Simone Lee at the Hirschhorn and the Institute of Contemporary Art Boston, to an awesome look at Daniel Gabriel Rossetti, and get this, Elizabeth Siddle. You know I love her. I've done a whole episode on her a couple of seasons ago, and that is going on at the Tate Britain. There's also a big hokusai show that will be both in Seattle and the MFA in Boston, so it is really a great time to get out there into the world and see some incredible art. Of course, you all know that I have been fawning over the big Vermeer exhibition at the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam, and I am definitely counting the days to see it. But that doesn't mean that this show hasn't already struck up some big questions. This week, the art newspaper published a brief report about the ongoing interest in nine quote-unquote missing Vermeer paintings, speaking with several scholars and identifying works that were included in historical records but have not yet been made known publicly. Or perhaps they are works that have been misattributed to other artists. To date, there are between 35 to 37, so that might be 36, I don't know, works that have been listed as being known Vermeers throughout the world. And 28 of those are currently on view in the Amsterdam show. But one of the exhibition's co-curators, Peter Roloffs, believes that there might actually be more that just haven't yet come to light, so that perhaps Vermeer's total output was something closer to 45 or 50 paintings. Now, this is not a ton, and Vermeer is thought to have worked extremely slowly and very methodically. But still, the rarity of Vermeer works just means that any further ones that come to light are going to be special. They are going to be big news. And that would be incredible to see. 
In the meantime, the hunt is still on for those nine works referenced in historical documents, ones that have been confirmed as, at least at one point, being in existence. These have included pieces like a potentially lost cityscape, a portrait of a man washing his hands, a Roman mythological scene featuring Jupiter, Venus, and Mercury, and, best of all, if it comes to light, a potential self-portrait by Vermeer. All of this has begged a question. Why have Vermeer's remained so elusive? Well, the art newspaper reports on a couple of different theories. The first, of course, is that it's pretty typical of a lot of artists in that people change and develop new styles and new interests in different subjects. Next, only about half of Vermeer's known works are signed. So, you know, that's hard. So always sign your works, you guys. But lastly, Vermeer's reputation didn't extend beyond his home country of Holland until the late 19th century, which was a couple of centuries after the artist's death. And that distance, both metaphorical and physical, combined with everything else mentioned above, just makes it all the more difficult for art historians to locate and authenticate the real deal. Yet I am always an art optimist, and I suspect a bunch of folks out there are too. And the Vermeer show at the Rijksmuseum just points to how special this artist truly was and that the search for missing or unknown Vermeers is a worthy cause. Speaking of Vermeers, I know you're probably getting tired of it, but I do have one more interesting Vermeer-related story for you. So this one was actually published a couple of weeks ago, but I just read about it this week, so I am going to include it here. In the exhibition catalog for the Vermeer show, Scholars have announced that they believe that they've previously gotten the details of Vermeer's main patron all wrong. Instead of claiming Peter van Rooyven as Vermeer's top backer, as previously thought, historians now think it was actually his wife, Maria de Noit, who was Vermeer's number one fan and patron. Now, this is cool, because when I say number one fan, I really mean it because this is the person who most likely purchased at least half of the artist's entire artistic output, which is stunning. Van Rooyven and Denoit had at least 20 Vermeer paintings in their household, and 14 of those are on view currently at the Rijksmuseum. So why the switch from focusing on the husband to the wife? Well, Curators of the Vermeer show have stated that Maria simply had a longer and closer connection to Vermeer himself, because Maria was raised in Delft and was a close neighbor and would have, in Peter Roloff's words, quote, seen Vermeer playing in the neighborhood as a young lad, unquote. So she would have had more of a reason to be comfortable with him, familiar with him, and to support him. Roloff's further notes that it would have been Maria's duty, as a 17th century Dutch lady, to be in charge of all the home goods and decorations, and paintings and their purchase would have most certainly fallen under her purview. Finally, there's the interesting fact that Maria and Peter began collecting Vermeer's paintings around 1657, which is noted in the Rijksmuseum catalog as being the turning point from Vermeer's earlier, more traditional religious and mythological subjects to what we now think of as quintessential Vermeer those beautiful, quiet interiors, especially featuring the domestic lives of young women. If this change was supported and even partially funded by sales to a female patron, this just makes the story of Vermeer's career that much more interesting. And I, for one, cannot wait 
to hear more about Maria Denoit. All right, it is commercial break, everyone. So as I always say, feel free to mash that forward button 30 seconds a couple of times or listen straight through to help us continue to make good with our advertisers who help pay the bills. We will be back to more Art Curious news this week in just a minute. And meanwhile, if you like the show but don't want to deal with the ads, that is okay. Support us over at patreon.com slash artcurious to get an ad-free feed and show me that you care. That is patreon.com slash artcurious. And I am so pleased to welcome aboard a new spate of patrons this week. So hello and thank you to RWL, Angie C, Joan W, and Deanna C. Ongoing thanks to my VIP patrons, Flamestress, Gaston, Stephanie, John, JL, Rhonda, Lance, and Robin. And welcome to the fold, Andrew. You are all rare, beautiful, and priceless to me, just like a Vermeer painting. If you want your name read here each and every week, become a VIP patron for $25 a month and know that you are helping us. Be right back. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Art Curious and our news this week. For the last story today, let's talk about another discovery. This one is also new and also equally awesome to all the Vermeer stuff we were just speaking of. This week, ABC News reported first that a new Moai sculpture was discovered on Rapa Nui, also known as Easter Island, which is part of Chile. Now, you probably have a vision of these statues those iconic stone heads that were made over 500 years ago from volcanic tuff, of which almost 1,000 have been discovered on this remote island. Most of the carvings, which were made by a Polynesian tribe, are large. I mean, really big, usually weighing between three to five tons, though some of them are bigger, even climbing up to 35 feet in height and weighing in closer to 80 tons. That's 160,000 pounds. Ugh, I can barely understand that number. It's so big. The discovery of a never-before-seen Maui is big, again, because it hints, kind of like those potential unknown Vermeers, that there might be more Maui out there. This one is smaller than most of the other Easter Island sculptures, and it was, interestingly, found in a lake bed that had recently dried up because of, you know, climate change. But archaeologists are taking climate change as having a silver lining here. As one archaeologist, Terry Hunt from the University of Arizona, noted, quote, They, meaning the Moai sculptures, have been hidden by the tall reeds that grow in the lake bed, and prospecting with something that can detect what's under the ground surface may tell us that there are, in fact, more Moai in the lake bed sediments. When there is one Moai in the lake, 
there's probably more, unquote. And every new finding of the Moai means further objects to study and thus further opportunities to learn about this most fascinating and mysterious people from this distant and isolated corner of the globe. And that is neat, right? That is all that I have for you for this news roundup of the week. Thank you so much for listening to Art Curious News this week. I, of course, will be back with you next time for another round of Art News. And we've only got a little more than a month. And then you've got all new episodes of our show. So yay! In the meantime, I am so thankful for your listenership, for following me on Instagram, for watching our YouTube videos, and most of all, for your support on Patreon and donations to VAE Raleigh. Thank you so much. And until next week, stay curious. <laughs>